they're looking for, they win. Ignore them, you win. Welcome, everyone. I am Ari Ingle, the Director of Creative Community for Peace. Thank you so much for joining us today. Creative Community for Peace is a nonprofit entertainment industry organization comprised of prominent members of the entertainment community who have come together to promote the arts as a bridge to peace, to educate about rising anti-Semitism within the entertainment industry, and to counter the cultural boycott of Israel. To learn more about our work and to support our work, please visit ccfpeace.com. That is ccfpeace.com or creativecommunityforpeace.com. Once again, we are glad to have all of you in our public square as we present Dispelling the Myth Season 2, a fantastic educational series of conversations with some of the leading experts on the issues and challenges facing Israel and the Jewish people today. All of you have the good fortune of spending the next hour with just me as I do a deep dive into the anti-Israel boycott movement, their roots, strategies, current manifestations, and with a special emphasis on the cultural boycott against Israel. I'm gonna share my screen and do about a 40 minute presentation and then answer any questions you may have. So feel free to leave questions in the Q&A section of the chat about anything related to this topic. And I'll try to get to as many of them as possible towards the end of the discussion. Uh, so let me go ahead and share screen and we can get started. here. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, we're talking about the boycott movement today, and we're going to be talking about some of the uh, history of the boycott movement, some of the strategies, some of their tactics, and then I'll be focusing on, on the cultural boycott itself. Uh, the first thing to know is the origins of the boycott movement. And to understand the boycott movement is not something new. It's something actually really old. If you look on the left here, you'll see Arabs to boycott Palestinian goods. So this is even before the state of Israel was established. This is in 1945, um, and we know Israel only was established in 1948. And when they talk about Palestinian goods, they're actually talking about Jewish goods. Back then, Jews actually referred to themselves as Palestinians. A lot of the who we know as Palestinians today actually referred to themselves as Arabs. So you had the Palestinian posts, which became the Jerusalem Post. Um, you had the uh, Palestinian national soccer team, which is actually a Jewish team. Uh, where uh, they, they played a tikva before their, their matches. The next really iteration of the boycott movement came after the 1967 war, uh, where you had the famous uh, three no's in Khartoum, no negotiation, no recognition, no peace with Israel. And you can see here, they called for a full boycott of Coca-Cola and banned Coke in all the Arab countries. Um, it wasn't until the 1990s when Coke was actually being able to be sold in the Arab countries um, so the Arab countries were stuck with Pepsi, Cola, and RC, why Israel got to enjoy uh, Coca-Cola. So I think we can all agree that the boycott movement didn't win that one. Um, the next sort of uh, evolution of the boycott movement comes in 2001. And this is at the infamous Durban conference in South Africa. And this was actually supposed to be a conference against hate, against racism, against anti-Semitism, but it was anything but that. Um, in the main forum, which was uh, the state-sponsored, uh, it just turned into a session bashing Israel and the United States as well, and both of them, both countries actually walked out. But it was actually the NGO forum that took place right next to it. 
you can see some of the flyers that were being handed out uh, outside the NGO forum. Um, you see things like the Star of David equals Nazism. Um, you had flyers, literally these are flyers handed out. What if I had won? It's a picture of Hitler and said there would be no Israel and no Palestinian bloodshed. Um, so you see sort of what it was about. And inside, it was actually deemed a forum of hate. And you had a lot of leftist NGOs from the EU with some Palestinian NGOs. This included Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International. And this is where they really formally launched the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, as they called for a full boycott, divestment, and sanctions against Israel, calling it an apartheid racist state. And so what we see next is, um, in 2004, you see Human Rights Watch actually joining the anti-Israel boycott campaign, uh, calling for a full boycott of Caterpillar, uh, and, and calling for sales of Caterpillar to end and the company to be boycotted. But what they needed really was a face for the movement, a Palestinian face, a local face, uh, because they wanted this to be seen as a grassroots Palestinian movement, not something that's pushed by groups like N uh, NGOs from, from Europe and uh, Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International. So in 2005, the boycott, the BDS movement was formed, and they needed a figurehead for this movement, and that was a guy named Omar Barghouti. And you can see him here, who is the co-founder of the BDS movement, and also its cultural branch, uh, the Palestinian Campaign for the Academic and Cultural Boycott of Israel, otherwise known as PACB. Um, and essentially, they put together something called the BNC, the BDS National Committee, and this is based out of Ramallah. And there's around 33 organizations that are part of this organization, and this is essentially the governing body of the boycott movement. By the way, I should mention Omar Barghouti uh, married an Israeli, became a citizen of Israel, attended Tel Aviv University, and actually lives in Israel proper, I believe, in Acre. So uh, it doesn't seem that he is keen to boycott Israel internally himself, um, only uh, vocally, I believe it is. So you can see who makes up the, the BNC. You have some Palestinian NGOs, but then you have groups like the PFLP affiliates. That is the uh, Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. If people remember in the 60s and 70s, they were behind a lot of the uh, hijackings of planes. Um, they were behind a lot of suicide bombings that took place in the second intifada in Israel as well. And essentially, they realized that tactic alone was not sufficient. And so what they started was a lot of NGOs which were really terrorists in suits. It's right, cover organizations for them to carry out their campaigns to raise money since they are a designated terrorist organization by America, the EU, Israel. Um, Israel recently labeled a number of these organizations you see there under the PFA, LP affiliates as terrorist organizations. And the BNC also includes the PNIF, the Palestinian National Islamic Forces and, and, and Islamic Forces. And you literally have groups like Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad and the military wing of the PFLP. And they are part of the BNC. So they are part of the BDS movement themselves. And what really what they did with the BDS movement is it's just the same boycott, but reinvented, right? They, they understood that today, the language of social justice is so important. So they've redefined themselves. So they say they're a social justice movement. They're against anti-Black racism, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism. The BDS movement's a climate issue. If you, if you support you know, environment and the climate change, uh, climate justice, then you are against Israel, right? You support BDS. It's an LGBTQ issue. If you, you know, support the BDS movement, then you're for LGBTQ rights, not to mention that all LGBTQ organizations have been banned and all events have been banned in the West Bank. That doesn't seem to bother them, but uh, that they are an LGBTQ issue. 
And also there are women's rights issue, right? If you support women's rights then you should support BDS because Israel is harming women's rights. And really this is their methods and they're discursive, reductive and adaptable. And let me explain what each one of these means. So when I say discursive, what they really do is they ramble on from one charge to the next, right? What they'll say is Israel's against women's rights. Israel's against LGBTQ rights. They pink wash. Israel's responsible for the policing in America. They train the police force. APAC is just a lobbying arm of the Israel government, and they really control the government, right? Charge to charge. The goal is to really just keep Israel on trial, whether there's validity of the claim or not. That does not matter. It's just about continuously making charges, jumping from one charge to the next. When I say reductive, what I mean is they want to simplify and change how it's discussed. They don't want to talk about an Israeli-Palestinian conflict and a history. Right. So they'll say it's not a conflict. It's apartheid. If you ever on social media, you'll say people uh, say that don't talk about a conflict. It's apartheid. Or if you call for peace, or if an artist calls for peace, don't call for peace. It's genocide. If you say, well, it's a complicated history. It's not complicated. It's ethnic cleansing and settler colonialism. So they don't want to they want to change the discourse. That's what I mean. Reductive. And when I say adaptable, whatever society deems as its most loathsome qualities, is essentially what the BDS movement can adapt to each society. So in America, the racial issue is a big thing. So they wanted to see the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict scene through the racial lens of America, right? As uh, the, 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 the artist Halsey once said during the May 21 conflict, uh, it's just white people killing brown people, right? She's bought into this language that it's just a racial issue. In Australia, where indigenous rights is a big issue, uh, you know, the Palestinian issue is an indigenous rights issue. In South Africa, obviously apartheid. So it's apartheid what's going on there. So in South Africa, they really pushed the apartheid narrative. In Europe, we see Zionism as racism. And that's because BDS spreads so rapidly there because it finds a sympathetic audience in Europeans where anti-Semitism, as we know, is endemic, right? These Westerners are already inclined to be suspect of Jews, making them easy prey for the BDS messaging that Zionism is racism. So that's the sort of charge and lens they want people in Europe to use. So what are their demands? This is actually their stated demands. So they have a list of three demands that is meant to obfuscate their true aims. In their demands that they state, they will maintain a boycott of Israel until one, Israel ends the occupation of all Arab lands. And uh, we can see in Omar Bargodi's own words what this really means. Oh, hold on, let's go back to play that video. Definitely, most definitely, we oppose a Jewish state in any part of Palestine. No Palestinian, rational Palestinian, not a sellout Palestinian, will ever accept a Jewish state in Palestine. So there we have definitely, most definitely, we oppose a Jewish state in any part of Palestine, which he refers to meaning the West Bank, Gaza, and Israel. And he says no Palestinian, rational Palestinian, not even a sellout Palestinian, will ever accept a Jewish state in Palestine. Um, and we also see often these sorts of flyers that BDS posts everywhere, right? Um, and what they say is, uh, so Palestine and Israel uh, from the river to sea? No, right? Israel from the river to sea? No. Palestine from the river to the sea? Yes, that gets a check mark and the like. Um, and then we have their second demand. They will maintain the boycott of Israel until, number two, Israel recognizes the fundamental rights of Arab citizens of Israel to full equality. Well, we know that is absolutely not false. That's actually one reason we uh, really urge people to go to Israel and see for themselves, right? If if what was happening in Israel really was apartheid and 
and what was what the BDS claims, then they probably want people to go see and bear witness, but they don't want them to go see because they know it doesn't line up with what they're preaching. With roughly 1.9 million Arab citizens of Israel, counting for about 20% of the population, population, Israel has never practiced racial segregation. Israeli Arabs have more rights in Israel than citizens in any of the other 21 Arab countries. Israel is the only real democracy in the Middle East. Actually, The Economist just came out with their new rankings and had Israel about 22 in the world, I think even a spot above America. Um, Arabs sit in the country's parliament and have sat in its governing coalition, like Mansour Abbas and his party in last coalition. Arabs are members of the Israeli Supreme Court. There's been about four or five Israeli Arab members of the Supreme Court, and one currently sits in the Supreme Court as well. The chairman of Israel's largest bank is an Arab, Bank Lumi. Over 22% of the student body of the Technion, Israel's version of MIT, are Arab students. 40% of doctors are Arab, while 40% of all, or sorry, new doctors are Arab, while 48% of all pharmacists and 24% of nurses are Arab. And actually, a poll was recently done uh, a year or two ago and said 71% of Arab Israelis say they're satisfied with their life in Israel. 65% say they're actually treated equally. And we know Israel also has progressive laws when it comes to free speech, gender equality, as well as LGBTQ rights. So their third demand says they will maintain a boycott of Israel until Israel grants the right of return to Palestinian refugees. And let's see what Omar Barghouti says about this. He says, if the refugees to return, you would not have a two-state solution. You'd have a Palestine next to a Palestine. And there is no reason why it should not be renamed Palestine. He even rejects the idea of a binational state, saying the binational model assumes that there are two nations with equal and competing moral claims to land. And therefore, we have to accommodate both national rights. And he says, I clearly do not buy into the idea of a two-state solution. So we clearly see, while they have stated goals sort of to try and convince people in the West that these are you know, rational, reasonable goals, really, it's all about the delegitimization and eventual elimination of the state of Israel. So what are they really about? We can hear them in their own words. So their groups, especially the younger groups and part of the boycott movement, have stopped sort of hiding their stated their, their real aims and their real goals. So here's uh, within our lifetime. They are the main leading BDS organization in New York. They lead a lot of the marches. And let's hear from the leader of that movement herself. Israel's days are numbered. This is why within our lifetime, we have the Hourglass logo. 
so some Zionists here in their lifetime. Um, and Omar Bagudi himself uh, has embraced violence as for describing their organization as a nonviolent movement. Um, and, and they've started embracing, as you just heard there, and saw groups like Hamas. They openly support these groups now and aren't afraid to support violence. And let's hear from Mr. Bagudi himself also uh, saying that violence is, is okay and acceptable. The media focuses only on one form of resistance, uh, which we're proud of. We're not ashamed to have armed resistance as well as peaceful resistance throughout our existence. People under occupation have a right to resist by all means. So as we see, it's not just a peaceful movement. They do embrace violence and they do embrace uh, armed struggle against Israel as well. Um, so this is not some Gandhi Mandela sort of resistance. Um, so let's talk about the culture boycott of Israel now. Uh, there's three really main areas of the boycott movement functions in. One is in education, and we see the wars that are going on in college campuses right now. The other sector is in the business sector, where they try to get businesses to boycott Israel. Uh, we're actually going to be having a dispelling the mist discussion on some of that in the financial sector later in the series. And the area that we really focus on at Creative Community for Peace, which is the cultural boycott. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Um, so, for instance, why artists are tempting targets for the BDS movement? As you see here, artists have big social media presence. They have large followings. And really, unlike a business, say, trying to get to the head, the CEO of Coca-Cola, you just have to get to one person. And that person lives on social media. They're actually on social media using their social media. So it's easier to get to that person. Um, there's a second reason that you can also use their influential social media feed right, to push your message. So they'll use their social media feed as a bully pulpit to try and convince the young impressionable fans of an artist to support their uh, movement. So if they're targeting a post from Justin Timberlake, for instance, he has 57 million followers. And they understand if they, over, they flood that post with negative comments about Israel, all of a sudden Justin Timberlake's fans see those posts. So that really it's about trying to convince the artists to join their movement or to silence them by bullying them or also to uh, sort of uh, to connect with the young fans and use these social media feeds as their bully pulpit. And what you'll see here also in red are those are three artists that ended up uh, canceling their shows in Israel. The three in green there are ones that face boycott pressure and still played. So who are who is behind the BDS movement and targeting these artists? Uh, we have the boycott activists. These are some of the groups we talked about earlier that are part of the BNC, but there's over, well over 100, there's hundreds of groups worldwide that are part of this uh, that uh, target artists and actively campaign for them to cancel their shows or to cancel uh, cultural events in Israel. There's bots, trolls, and fake accounts. So these are largely run out of places like Iran and Qatar who are heavily fund the boycott movement. Uh, bots are, as you would imagine, just a computer-generated uh, message, fake message that they use to either accentuate likes or to post, uh, just rapidly post negative comments. Trolls, right? These aren't fans of an artist. They are people that are activists that are trolling artists, uh, making inflammatory statements targeting artists. And fake accounts. This can either be something that bots flood uh, a social media uh, account with, or it could be, you know, activists that have each 10, 15 fake accounts, and they use those to target artists. And there's also anti-Israel activist celebrities. 
people here like Roger Waters, John Cusack, and Alice um, and Alice Walker are three of the more famous ones, infamous ones. And, and let's hear a little bit about Roger Waters and what he has to say about the boycott. Following a 2005 call from Palestinian civil society, social movements, activists, and increasingly church bodies and even some local government authorities around the world have created the campaign for boycott, divestment, and sanctions. It aims, as many of you know, to bring non-violent economic pressure to bear on Israel to force an end to its violations, an end to occupation and apartheid, an end to the denial of Palestinians' right to return, and an end to Palestinian citizens of Israel being required to live as second-class citizens, discriminated against on racial grounds and subject to different laws than their Jewish compatriots. The BDS movement is gaining ground hand over fist. So we have these activists, entertainers who try to uh, reach out to other artists and entertainers to have them join the cultural boycott of Israel. Uh, they sign on to petitions and letters. Um, Roger Waters reaches out to a lot of people himself. But as we obviously know, happens a lot these days, anti-Zionism turns to anti-Semitism, especially with the these more radical uh, uh uh, people that are involved in the boycott movement. And, and Roger Waters, just this last week, the city of Frankfurt canceled his concert there, describing the singer as the world's best known anti-Semite. And then we have David Gilmore, who's in Pink Floyd with him, um, and Polly Sampson, his wife, who's a lyricist for Pink Floyd, saying, sadly, Roger Waters, you were anti-Semitic to your rotten core. And David Gilmore said, every word is demonstrably true. Um, we see the same with John Cusack. He posted this... Uh, on social media, and this is actually not a Voltaire quote, it's actually a neo-Nazi quote that they've put the name Voltaire on. It says, to learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. And it has a hand with the Star of David on it, crushing people. Um, and John Cusack adds, follow the money. And the same thing with Alice Walker. Once again, anti-Zionism turning into anti-Semitism. Uh, she's promoted anti-Semitic hate. Uh, she promoted a book by white supremacist David Ick that purports to detail the Jewish-backed global conspiracy by lizard men to control the world. She's written a lot about this in her own poetry, such as this one in the Talmud, where she says, are goyim us meant to be slaves of Jews? And not only that, but to enjoy it? Are three-year-old girls eligible for marriage and intercourse? Are young boys fair game for rape? Must even the best of us, goyim, be killed? So she's saying that the Talmud is some sort of uh, nefarious document that the Jews use to control the world. Um, so what does a culture boycott look like? Here's a great example of some of the flyers they make and they post on people's pages. Um, you can see when Scarlett Johansson was uh, uh, um, working with SodaStream, a company that actually hires both Palestinian and uh, Arab and Jewish Israeli workers, they boycotted her for just merely um, being a sponsor for the company. And when Madonna and other Carlos Vives and other artists go to perform there, you can see the sort of flyers that they spread around social media. You know, Madonna, open your heart to a Palestinian children, do not perform at Eurovision. Uh, with Taylor Swift, don't play in apartheid Israel. So these are flyers that they spread around social media and try to use to really bully these artists not to play there. So let's take a couple look at examples or a couple examples. Here is Demi Lovato. Now, the interesting thing about Demi she didn't go to Israel to perform. She literally went there on a private visit. Like the Dalai Lama and, you know, Arab Jews, Christians, Muslims, world leaders go to Israel every year. 
But for Demi Lovato, right, it proved a good target. Let's overwhelm her social media feeds for our own cause. So she posted these two photos. She didn't post about soldiers or make any political statements. She posted a photo of being baptized in the River Jordan and visiting Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial. And for doing so, her social media feed was just overrun by bots, trolls, and fake accounts. You see here on the left, some account named Sarah Jose, right? This is a bot account, someone just leaving Palestinian flags over and over and over. And you can see 80 likes, 76 likes, 78 likes. Those are manufactured likes done by bot farms. You see this other account, the Spacey Swifts, right? This is a troll account. I've never really been a fan of yours, but how you're acting right now is pathetic. You're literally blocking your own fans and acting like you're some sort of victim. This is why nobody takes you seriously, Zionist clown. So this is some troll that's just trying to bully Demi Lovato. And we see this account in the middle, uh, which is a fake account. They don't post on their own. They're a private account. You can see the photos, just some generic photo, just posting over and over about, uh, you know, bullying her and telling her how she lied and she's really being paid for being in Israel and she should admit to it. Unfortunately, Demi Lovato, because she wasn't performing there and was a private tour, she wasn't really prepped for what she would face. And one thing we tell artists to do is never engage with the boycott movement. And fortunately, you see, because you're, you're engaging really with bot trolls and fake accounts. So she started engaging with these. And all that does is make it work, worse. Sorry. And you, she just had thousands and thousands of more of these comments just flood her page. And she ended up literally apologizing for merely visiting Israel, which is just absolutely absurd. So now look at an artist that actually played there. We have Lionel Richie. Same thing. You can see all these, these flyers that they say dancing on the ceiling of a demolished Palestinian home and these flyers urging, uh, really bullying uh, Lionel Richie to not go. And, and essentially their, their, their tactic is if you go, you support apartheid, ethnic cleansing, the killing of every baby in the world. Do not go Lionel. So we work with Lionel and his team to uh, make sure they understand what they're going to face when they book to play there. And you can see here why I put this example. So this Lionel Richie tweet has nothing to do with playing in Israel or being in Israel. He tweeted about playing in New Orleans Jazz Festival. So what the boycott movement does is unleash, the, unleash these bots and trolls. And you see this Freedom one, um, a couple different accounts named Freedom, no followers, not following anybody. And they sort of post the same message. Go to Israel means encouraging occupation crimes. Israel is an apartheid state, right? The same message over and over. That's how you know it's bot activity. Um, you see here the bottom three posting the same message. Israel's apartheid and criminal state. Don't play there. And just the same message from different accounts. And you can see the ending of these accounts with random numbers and letters. That just means that they're not real. Um, and they, they've been, you know, if you do a deep dive into them, they're just fake accounts with no followers and following. Uh, Lionel did go play in Israel, had a great show, uh, and really brought a message of peace with them. A next uh, example is an artist named Aurora, who is an amazing Norwegian artist. She faced an absolute onslaught. And what the BDS movement likes to do is they like to really pick on younger artists that they know spend a lot of time on social media. Someone like Bon Jovi is not really looking at social media. He's not going to see this stuff. Someone like Aurora really loves her fans on social media and engages with them. So she really took a lot of punishment on social media for this, where articles started being written about her. And what the boycott movement did and why I wanted to show this example is in the upper left corner and the right, you can see people literally went to her shows throughout Europe and stood outside and boycotted and protested her shows and tried to convince fans not to go into her shows when she was playing in places like Denmark and the UK. Usually these people aren't more than, you know, five to 10 people. And, and so, uh, most people just ignore them going in. But this is the sort of tactics they use to scare someone like Aurora. It's not like Aurora didn't understand. She knows the message. She saw the tweets. She saw the posts. 
Um, but they're trying to bully her, you know, trying to frighten her not to go. And Aurora did go. And this is an amazing statement she released. I'm so excited to be here. I guess, you know, many people didn't want me to be here. And it doesn't make any sense to me. We're all people. And you're all so lovely. And you have to know that I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much. I don't believe in culture boycotting. Musicians and artists out there shouldn't be silenced because of the political disagreements. We shouldn't be forced to boycott fans around the world because of political reasons. And we shouldn't be scolded for trying to do good just because our way of thinking might be different to yours. Art should be something we can all share no matter what. I want to walk on cultural bridges and I want to be part of any cultural boycotts. And this is really a message we send to artists that they can really use their voice to build bridges and do good when they're there. Because at their concerts, there are people from all backgrounds, Muslim, Christian, Jews, Black, white, uh, all faiths. And really, it's one area that everybody can bond. Um, one more example just to show you is when Jennifer Lopez went there and once again, bombarded with boycott calls, we work with her and her team before they went. You can see, don't turn your back on the oppressed, be on the side of justice, cancel your concert in apartheid Israel. And once again, part of the message is understanding that People in Israel wanted to see her play. And the people in Israel, once again, are from all backgrounds. And she can do far more greater good by going there, performing for these people, using her show as a time to bring everyone together than simply being part of a boycott that is just more divisive. And she shouldn't be silenced as an artist, right? Artistic freedom should not be suppressed, right? If she wants to go play in Israel, that's the other side of it. If she wants to go play there, she should be allowed to play there and not be bullied for it. So let's hear from her manager, Benny Medina, who is one of uh, the bigger managers in the music industry, legendary manager. This is him talking from Israel. How complicated it was to bring here to Israel uh, an artist like Jennifer Lopez. The BDS movement didn't try to stop the show. There was nothing that was going to stop us from being in Israel. Nothing? Nothing. She wanted to come. He wanted to come. Nothing stopped them to come. It's really simple. Tel Aviv and Israel deserve Jennifer Lopez, and Jennifer Lopez deserves Israel. So that was a great message from Benny Medina, um, which we wholeheartedly agree with. Um, one last example, actually, I wanted to go through was with someone that actually canceled. So we have Lana Del Rey, once again, faced an onslaught of boycott pressure. Lana, don't go. They overwhelmed her social media feeds. She's a young artist. She sees these things. So she actually responded, and this is something we urge people not to do, because once again, we saw with Demi Lovato, all it does is cause them to intensify their efforts, and they're not interested in a conversation. There's no rational conversation and back and forth you can have. So here she said, on the left, you can see, you know, she wants to bring loving energy, and hopefully she can shift the energy. And what was the boycott movement's response? Sorry, Londa Ray, loving energy won't end apartheid. Cancel your performance, right? They're not interested in having a conversation with Lana. They're not interested in having a rational discussion. They're interested in bullying her. And unfortunately, it worked. Lana canceled her show. Um, actually, she said she was postponing it until there was a time where she can perform for both Israeli and Palestinian fans. But unfortunately, that's impossible. And the reason that's impossible is their anti-normalization policy. So the boycott movement has an anti-normalization policy where they oppose any interaction between Arabs and Jewish Israelis, as well as any events that showcase Israel as a legitimate country. So right, Lana Del Rey's show showcased Israel as a legitimate country, and that is not okay with them. In their charter, they actually expressly say they are against coexistence. And it's interesting, they actually even call out leftist groups that say, they're for a Palestinian state, they're, in, they're opposed to the settlements. They actually warn against 
actually working with those groups. So those groups still believe in the state of Israel. So you should not work with those groups. They should say so you should only work with groups that support co-resistance. So groups like Jewish Voices for Peace and If Not Now, who don't believe there should be a state of Israel, right? That's resistance. Those are the only groups you can work with. So as we saw here, Rwanda DeRay canceled her show, citing inability to schedule a Palestinian concert. And Lauren Hill did the same. And once again, the boycott movement sort of fooled her or some people closer said, well, try and book a show in both. And the boycott movement will not allow that. If you play in Israel, you are not allowed to play in the Palestinian territories. So they were unable to play that, uh, play their show. So they canceled and postponed. Um, here we see Aurora, who we just talked about. Um, and after her show, you know, a fan says, you know, she responded to a fan. Um, and she said, you know, now she understands more than ever, it's important to use music to build a bridge. And for obvious reasons, she wanted to come to Palestine and play for her fans there. What was PACB's response, the official cultural wing of the boycott movement? Aurora says she intends to perform in the occupied Palestinian territory. Yet Palestinian civil society rejects such attempts to balance crossing our peaceful picket line. So unfortunately, Aurora is never going to be allowed to perform in the Palestinian territories unless she comes out and says, I think the state of Israel should not exist. Now, anti-normalization, how it functions elsewhere, we see here um, the EU had an amazing program to bring Israeli and Palestinian young leaders together to Belgium and to have dialogue, to talk about issues, to talk about building bridges between each other. And the boycott movement shut that down. And they said, as you can see here, the EU cynically reduces 70 years of Israeli oppression to a conflict to be resolved via dialogue. Via dialogue. As you see, conflict. They're against using the word conflict, and they certainly say it cannot be resolved using dialogue, right? They're not into dialogue. They're into the end of Israel. So the boycott movement actually shut down this program by bullying and harassing the participants of it. And also, sometimes they violently threaten entertainers. What's interesting is the boycott movement, if you ever see them post, they say, we don't go after entertainers. We don't go after individuals. We just do, uh, we go after people that are involved with the Israeli government. Well, Paul McCartney has nothing to do with the Israeli government, and neither does Lionel Messi. And Paul McCartney received just tons of death threats when he was going to go forward with his show not to go. He ended up going, and he actually said from the stage, I'm here in Israel to bring a message of peace. Lionel Messi, they actually did cancel this soccer match from the death threats. But he has since come to Israel three or four different times and has played there. And once again, he saw for himself when he came and realized what they were, this, this, this uh, depiction of Israel that the BDS movement was pushing was just absolutely fraudulent. Um, he realized, you know, he can come and play soccer uh, and really bring a message of peace. So how do we sort of combat this stuff? So Creative Union for Peace, as we said in the beginning, is a nonprofit entertainment industry organization built up of many high-level members of the entertainment community, people from these companies and many, many more. And that allows us to connect to any artist or entertainer uh, in the entertainment industry, which really gives us uh, you know, an insight to what they're thinking and also allows us to prepare them for what they may face. So we've supported hundreds of performers and artists over the years. Here are just some that have performed in Israel that we've worked with, supported from Jennifer Lopez uh, to Daddy Yankee to Metallica to Alicia Keys to Elton John um, to Maroon 5, who just went there. And over 350 international artists do end up playing in Israel every year. And the boycott movement tries to sort of make a big deal of maybe one or two that cancels because of the boycott movement. And by the way, a lot of them that do cancel, you know, a handful every year, often cancel for financial reasons. 
Uh, it's very expensive to go to Israel. It's not on a natural touring map. You can't just drive from one venue to the next. You actually fly into Israel. You have to spend three days. You have to fly in one day, concert, then fly out. Uh, and you only play for around 40,000 fans if you're the biggest artist. So it's financially tough to play in Israel. And the boycott movement, if, if artists cancel for financial reasons um, that they don't make logistical sense, they'll often just try and claim victory like they did last year with a couple of different groups uh, because they aren't having much success. And, you know, CCFP really makes uh, artists feel like they're not alone. So here we have a manager who was part of a contestant in Eurovision. And here he says, nice to hear from you and thank you for your positive message. It is incredibly refreshing to hear your point of view. It means a lot to us all to have your support. So far, we've chosen to ignore the hysterical message from BDS, but it's reassuring to know we can turn to you if the pressure increases. Here's another artist, a manager of a very well-known entertainer. Thank you for reaching out and for your encouraging words. We and the artist actually have some, oh, sorry, he, the artist actually has some Palestinian origins himself. He truly believes music can build bridges across cultures, races, and nation. He loves the people of Israel as much as his own people, and he's going to Israel to play for the people, not for a political party or the government. He will not shy away in front of criticism or demands of boycott, especially with your support. So a lot of the times it's just these artists understanding they do have support and guidance and the music industry does support them. Uh, before CCFP was established, when we saw a lot more artists cancel, it was because there really was no counter narrative and no balance to the discourse. Um, we work with the Israeli promoters. You can see some of their statements and messages here. I'll just read one of them from Hillel, who was one of the bigger promoters there. CCFP provides a critical balancing voice for artists, agents, and managers. Hearing another piece of the puddle can help artists make an informed decision about appearing in Israel and help fight the misleading and inaccurate information posted daily online. Um, so we work with the promoters to make sure the artists don't cancel and that the artists are informed and empowered with what they need to understand when they go there. Um, we also work to expose the boycott movement. So last year, Billie Eilish, when she released her album, she wasn't performing in Israel. What she did is she uh, did a, a marketing spot for Spotify. So for every country in 100 countries, she released a small video that said, Hi, I'm Billie Eilish. Uh, Hi, people of Israel. I'm Billie Eilish. Please buy my album. Hi, people of Thailand. I'm Billie Eilish. Please buy my album. And she did that for 100 countries. So because she did that one for Israel, she became the, the, the target. For two weeks, the boycott movement unleashed just a flurry of, of, of bots, trolls, and fake accounts tackling uh, uh, taking on all her posts that had nothing to do with Israel. Literally, it was just her posting about going out to dinner or performing at another show. Um, and really, once again, the reason for this was to say, Billie Eilish, don't ever talk about Israel. Don't ever come to Israel. And you know what? We're going to use your social media feed to target your fans. And what we did is we did a deep dive. And we actually found out that of all the top comments, 48% were anti-Israel and were posted with users who had zero to two posts on private profiles. Those comments garnered over 300,000 likes. So basically it was just a bot attack on her. And we did a deep dive of that report. We shared it with her managers. We shared it with her. We shared it with other artists. So they understand who is really behind this. It's not her fans. It really is just this uh, activist attack. Um, and really what we do also with artists is we talk to them about building bridges and coexistence, which I talked about a little earlier with Jennifer Lopez and sort of the positive message they can bring. So we amplify the voices of artists that are using music, culture, and arts on the ground to bring people together. There's groups like the Jerusalem Youth Chorus 
which brings young Palestinian and Israeli kids every year, uh, every week together to talk and sing. The Polyphony Foundation, which is an orchestra, which does the same, is comprised of Israeli Arab, Israeli Jews, and they play and discuss and talk. There's groups like Zulad, which is a Jewish Arab Israeli hip hop duo. Um, and we support a lot of groups like that because there are a lot of groups on the ground that are trying to use music, arts, culture to bring people together. And really, that's who the artists going there should support and amplify. That's who the media should amplify. But unfortunately, those voices are often not amplified. Um, for instance, Alicia Keys, when she performed there, she was bombarded with boycott calls. You can see Alice Walker wrote her an open letter not to go. Um, you had people protesting outside her concerts. Um, outside of Israel, urging her not to come. And here is a statement from stage where she brought up an Israeli and a Palestinian artist. We are here in the spirit of unity, love, compassion, and forgiveness. Please welcome to the stage from Israel, Idan Rachel, and from Palestine, Ali Amir. So what Alicia Keys did was build a bridge, right? She said, I'm here to build bridges. And she brought together an Israeli artist, a Palestinian artist, brought him on stage. And that's just an amazing message to send. Um, other areas that we see the boycott movement very active, once again, any cultural event. So Eurovision is a contest that has around 150 million viewers every year. It takes place far bigger in Europe. Um, it's like an American Idol, but on steroids, where they have 41, 42 participating countries. And because the Israeli contestant won um, in 2019, the contest was held in Israel. And the boycott movement tried to urge every broadcast, every broadcaster that was a participant in the contest to pull out. They tried to convince every artist to pull out. And they heavily targeted every artist, just flooding their emails, flooding their social media with calls to cancel. Um, we're happy to report that not a single artist pulled out. We were in touch with all the artists, with all the broadcasters. We also released an open letter signed on by leading entertainment industry figures. You can see Gene Simmons and others, and uh, really got picked up in a lot of press. And once again, it was about the artists and the performers and the, the people participating, understanding that they had support of the entertainment industry. And when you have events like the World Cup or the Olympics, all countries participate. But in Israel, obviously, it's a problem. The World Cup can be in Russia. The, the Olympics can be in China, but obviously Israel to the boycott movement, that's a problem. Another area they target is they target Puma because they sponsor the Israeli national football team. So they'll go post banners like this. They'll actually put them on billboards throughout the UK. They will uh, protest in Puma stores around the world. They'll uh, boycott, uh, uh, try and uh, convince teams and players who are sponsored by Puma to boycott Israel. Um, this is a really long, ongoing campaign. Boy, Puma has resisted these messages and calls because they understand the team they support in Israel, the Israeli national football team, is all about peace and coexistence, it's the epitome of coexistence. Last year, five of the starters were Arab, five were Jewish, and the captain is Zarkesian Muslim. So sports, especially the Israeli national team, really does build bridges and bring people together, and fans from all backgrounds attend their matches. Um, another thing they, that they, they, they attack every year is the LGBTQ Tel Aviv Film Festival. This film festival brings together, it's the largest in the Middle East, one of the largest in Europe, and it brings together films and filmmakers from all over the world to showcase their films in Israel and come together around LGBTQ films. 
they heavily target all the filmmakers to pull out. And we were able to talk to some of the filmmakers. We released an open letter signed by Helen Mirren and Mila Kunis and others to really let them know what this film festival was all about. And now filmmakers understand this and ignore the BDS messaging. Um, we even have things in Sydney. Last year, the Sydney Festival, which is a month-long festival in Australia, it included an Israeli dance ensemble. So the boycott movement unleashed a torrent of boycott activity targeting every single artist and act that is performing in the Sydney Fest, urging them to pull out. Um, unfortunately, Australia wasn't really aware of the methods and the tactics of the BDS movement. So when we got in there, uh, we released an open letter. We also had a lot of op-eds and we had people like Gene Simmons appearing on the Sunrise Show, which is their Good Morning America. I appeared on their version of the NPR and we were able to stop the flood of artists from uh, canceling. And also it was about, you know, having another narrative, having a sort of a counter narrative to the one the boycott movement was pushing. Um, a couple more examples, Fauda on Netflix. Fauda is an Israeli television show. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Um, it's filmed with Israeli, uh, Jewish, and Arab actors. Uh, it goes number one in many Arab countries like Lebanon and Jordan. Uh, it really tells the story of what's going on on both sides and through the lens of both sides. Uh, but the boycott movement tried to get this drop from Netflix. So once again, CCFP stepped in, rallied the entertainment industry, and made sure that Netflix didn't drop the show. Uh, one last example is the Dock Edge Festival. This is in New Zealand. And this is a documentary festival that's one of the biggest in the world. Israel had a, a movie in it called Dead Sea Guardians. This movie is about a Palestinian, a Jordanian, and a Jewish Israeli coming together to swim the length of the Dead Sea to raise awareness about saving the Dead Sea for all three people. The mere fact that this movie was an Israeli film in the festival was too much for the boycott movement, so they attacked it and they wanted all films and filmmakers to pull out. They don't care about the movie, was about the epitome of coexistence and coming together, because as we've discussed, that's not what they're about. Um, lastly, there's a lot of artists that start talking out about the boycott now, which we support. Um, you can see Nick Cave, the cultural boycott of Israel is cowardly and shameful. Israel is a real vibrant functioning democracy, yes, with Arab members of parliament. And so engaging with Israelis who vote may be more helpful than scaring off artists or shutting down means of engagement. And we have legendary artist Gloria Gaynor, the cultural boycott of Israel is a form of artistic censorship. Music does not separate people. Music does not take sides. Music is a wonderful tool for peace and bringing people together. Um, so that's the presentation. Now I'll stop my share screen and uh, let me go to some of the questions if you guys have and feel free to put some forth. Um, here we go. Can I get a copy of the slides? Uh, we will make some of the slides available after the show. I'm um, sorry, after the show, after the presentation, uh, when we email you a follow-up. Um, here's a question from Fred. Why is Israel building settlements on lands that Israel has recognized as Palestinian territory? Doesn't that just feed into BDS? One thing P uh, CCFP likes to do is really stay apolitical. Um, there is terrible things certainly going on from both sides of the, of the uh, out there. Um, there's, you know, people getting shot and, and, and suicide bombings, and there's obviously settlement building and uh, the recent uh, uh, attacks on the Palestinian village. And we really stay out of that because we understand that politics is divisive 
And we need to open the lines of communication. We want to keep them open. And we really feel that music, arts, culture can build bridges. And it's up to us to really, you know, push that message forward and bring people together when politics is certainly not doing that at this time. Um, thank you for your insightful lecture. I support Israel. However, I want to ask if you don't mind artists to perform in, for example, Iran at a government-sponsored event. Listen, the reality is, is if an artist wants to perform in Israel, they should be allowed to. If they don't want to perform in Israel, we have absolutely no problem with that. We don't say, go to artists and say, well, how dare you not want to go in Israel and want to perform there? How dare you do this? And That's fine. Once again, artistic freedom. If an artist wants to perform in Iran because they want to go there to use their voice to speak for the uh, Iranian people, amazing. If they want to speak for the Iranian government, you know what? Their fans here will probably have a say in that. The same things are true in Israel, right? If an artist wants to go to Israel, they can use that stage in front of thousands and thousands of people and say, I don't like the government. I don't like this. I don't like how you're treating the Palestinians because there's free speech in Israel and you're allowed to do that. So if an artist wants to do that, they can do that. And listen, if there's repercussions and there's repercussions, but that's something the artists will face from their fans. Let's go to another one. Um, I saw you supported Brian Adams performing in Israel. My understanding is that he is against Israel and strongly supporting the people of Gaza and is critical of Israel. Can you comment on this? Um, Brian Adams' performance in Israel was before my time at Creative Community for Peace, so I don't know exactly about that. Roger Waters also performed in Israel, and we've seen what Roger Waters now has become critical of Israel. Listen, once again, we try to provide balance to the discourse. We may reach out to some of these artists if they, you know, do all of a sudden come out with the boycott statement and say, you know, we'd love to provide you some additional information on it. But listen, if artists are want to join the boycott, there are some that, that, that do. Um, there's far, far more that don't. You know, I think a lot of people say to me, well, why aren't more artists speaking out? And you got to understand that most artists speaking out against Israel are activists. Activists like to make outrageous outlandish claims like Roger Waters and uh, Susan Sarandon. Um, but, you know, most artists who support Israel, like if you take Justin Bieber or Justin Timberlake or Alicia Keys, Maroon 5, they're not activists. They're not going to go online and just espouse love of Israel every day. And they also understand it's a complex situation. They don't want to spread misinformation. So I think people need to understand that, that the support for Israel is strong and you have to take these activists for who they are and that's activists. Um, thank you, Ari. Waterers gives concerts in Germany. In Frankfurt already, can't do this concert in other cities. Uh, what is the hate? What can we do? Right. So Germany, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, did cancel one, uh, Frankfurt did cancel his show. Um, I'm not sure if his shows are canceled in other cities of Germany. Um, you know, I think it's about people making their voices heard. It's amazing the German city said, we're not going to allow that hate in our city. Someone who spreads hate, someone who supports openly and vocally Putin and is almost a Putin apologist going on TV supporting Putin and saying America and the West is wrong for, you know, fighting back and supporting Ukraine. Um, you know, and I think people can say, you know, we don't support that especially if a venue is owned by a city and the city says, you know, we do not, for instance, in America, if there's a Ku Klux Klan rally, you would hope that a venue owned by a city would say, no, no, you can play freedom of speech, but don't do it at our venue in our city. Um, is CCFP working on Israeli teams being rejected for participating in international sporting events? We do work on that. Um, the beautiful thing is with the Abraham Accords, we've actually seen a thawing in this, which has been great to see. So you've seen Israeli artists 
come and compete in Saudi Arabia, who do, isn't even part of the Abraham Accord. You see him in the, the uh, United Arab Emirates. Um, certain countries obviously are never going to allow Israeli athletes in, like Iran or Syria or, uh, or Lebanon. But you know, the Abraham Accords has been marvelous and wonderful, and uh, it's about really calling out those countries who try to reject Israeli athletes, which once again is just absurd. And when you talk about uh, what is anti-Semitism, I think when it comes to Israel and Israelis, the, 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 the Natan Sharansky test in three Ds, you know, it is it works to delegitimize or a, is there a double standard being portrayed against Israel? And I think in this case, a double standard, right? If you let Chinese uh, athletes participate, when China has a situation with the Yurgers, they've been occupying Tibet far longer than Israel has even been uh, in control of the Palestinian territories, you know, that's a double standard, that's anti-Semitism, and it needs to be called out. Um, are there American artists who are resisting your efforts, and is there an artistic backlash to your efforts? Once again, I think I just briefly talked about this. Um, you know, there are artists that I've just mentioned, from Roger Waters to John Cusack to Susan Sarandon, who are against this, and there are some artists that, you know, uh, adhere to the cultural boycott of Israel. Um, there was a group called Big Thief last year, who I think were incredibly misinformed. They actually have an Israeli musician in their band, but uh, they were, you know, they're an indie act and they were a, a fearful backlash. And I think they also are credibly misinformed. Um, and unfortunately, you will have a handful of them that do boycott Israel. Um, the public broadcaster in Canada during Jewish History Month last year showed a documentary that was very critical of Israel. It was very one-sided. Is this something that your organization will be able to address with our public broadcaster? Um, I think it's important to make sure, and you know, CCFP, if we, we hear about that stuff, I say get in touch with us. Um, certainly get in touch with us because we do have contacts and advisory board members in Canada, in the UK, in Australia, in America. Um, and we can certainly have a loud voice because we have um, people in these countries that largely know people that run the broadcasters or, or run the various um, uh, streamers and can have that conversation. And look, uh, it depends on the documentary. There are a number of films that are on Netflix that are certainly are anti-Israel. Um, but listen, it's free speech. There are a lot of pro-Israel movies on Netflix as well. Um, and it's tough to sort of shut that down. Now, where it crosses the line, I think, is where it gets to pushing anti-Semitic tropes, um, where it maybe portrays Israelis as bloodthirsty or killing all children or controlling the world. Um, I think that's really what's problematic. And really, I think streamers and public broadcasters should not be spreading hate on their platforms. Once again, if it's about narrative, that's one thing. I think uh, there should be more openness to you know, free speech when it comes to that. But when it really comes to pushing hate, um, that's a problem. Um, anyhow, we are at time. Um, I just want to thank all of you for joining us today. Um, it was my pleasure explaining this to you. Feel free to um, you know, let other organizations know. We're happy to talk to them. If you're in part of a, a Jewish federation in a city or a Jewish organization, feel free to reach out. We're happy to talk to them about this, the boycott movement, uh, anti-Semitism, um, and really uh, engage with audiences that want to learn more. Uh, feel free to send any additional questions to us at info at creativecommunityforpeace.com. That's info at creativecommunityforpeace.com. Next week, we are excited to be joined by actor, activist, and author David Badil to discuss his fantastic book, Jews Don't Count, 
It'll explore anti-Semitism and how it fests mainly in the progressive and leftist spaces. If you haven't read the book, I suggest you do. Uh, otherwise, this uh, webinar will be a great intro. Make sure to sign up for all our discussions and please donate to us. We cannot bring these sorts of discussions to you without your help and support. So please donate ccfpeace.com. That is ccfpeace.com. We hope to see everyone online and then everyone stay safe. Thank you and see you next week. Thank you.